Welcome back to another episode of the Max Turn Podcast. Kyle Stitch here alongside James Finch. And today we continue our season preview, kind of talking a little bit about over-under point totals, a little bit of fantasy. Uh, we continue in the Eastern Conference with the Atlantic Division. And um, we're going to kind of give our thoughts, opinions on where, where we stand. The Atlantic Division is thought of as one of the tougher divisions in hockey. We'll kind of get, get into that a little bit more in this episode. Um, if you have any thoughts, questions, wanna wanna support us, follow us at AFP Analytics on Twitter. You can find our personal accounts there as well. We're very we're always happy to interact with anyone who has questions, give some advice, stuff like that. We're not fantasy or betting experts or anything, but um, we're happy to offer an opinion or act as a sounding board. Um, in that same realm, we're gonna talk about point totals, what we might do, but these aren't necessarily gonna be based on like projections. They're definitely not guaranteed by any means. So don't don't take our money, our, our ideas, risk your own money if you're not comfortable losing it, or cons- or being like we're not guaranteeing wins or anything. So know that whatever you choose based on our opinions is your choice, not ours. We're offering what we might do. And um, we're again, we're referencing point totals. We're not necessarily sponsored by any betting site or anything like that. We just pulled them from a popular site, and that's all I'll say on that. Uh, but hey, if you are do work for a betting company and wanna wanna hook up with us, you can you, you can find us on any of those place, places. Uh, any other ads or anything that you might hear associated with this episode are also not necessarily products that we're working with, endorsing or anything like that. Um, and yeah, we appreciate you listening, subscribing to this podcast on all major platforms. And with that, the Atlantic division, we're going to do this. If you missed our first episode, we started with the metropolitan division. We did that in kind of order from lowest projected point total to highest. We, we kind of broke our, the ties, uh, if they had the same point total who we think is going to finish higher. So we're going to do the same thing here. Atlantic Division, lowest projected point total. Montreal Canadiens, 71 and a half. I'll be, I'll be straight up, I like the over. Yeah, so do I. Um, so uh, like you said, we covered the Metropolitan Division already. Uh, we're going to do the Atlantic right now. Um, of those two divisions, so the Eastern Conference, uh, the point totals we have here have Montreal being the worst team in the Eastern Conference. I I disagree. Um, you were pretty confident just now saying you definitely take the over. Um, I am also right there with you, definitely taking the over. Um, I think they're a team that everyone thinks is supposed to be really bad. And I don't think that's actually the case. At the same time, I'm not trying to say that they're going to be really good and make the playoffs. I don't believe that either, um, personally. But there's enough talent here that they should not be the worst team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and here, I'll, I'll start this episode off with a maybe blazing hot take. I might like them more than the Detroit Red Wings. I, I like I wouldn't be surprised if, if they finished ahead of a Detroit, even an Ottawa. I mean, sure, I think the other teams would need think, a lot of other things to go wrong for them, but I don't even think it's a lock they finished last in the division. I, I like their roster on paper. Yeah. Their forward group's solid. 
Defensively is definitely a little bit or a big question mark, but I mean again, they got they got youth. Maybe some of those guys take a step forward. I think David Reinbacher, who they picked uh, in the first round, the most recent draft, if he can come on, make an instant impact. You don't see it a ton from eighteen-year-old defensemen, but. He's been playing in European leagues against men that maybe he can make that transition. Yeah, um, in a perfect world that would happen. Like like you said, it's, it doesn't happen too often, though. Um, so I don't think that should really be the expectation um, for Montreal. They do have some younger players there that, yeah, we would hope to see a little bit of a step taken. Um and in a perfect world, that would allow for some veterans like a Michael Matheson, a David Savard, to not be playing as big of a role as, say, first-pair defensemen. Um, I think at their absolute best, those guys should be on the second pair. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely room to improve defensively if we're looking at their... their uh, defenseman here um and if we're going to see growth it's going to be from those those younger players i i think i think they did make a level of improvement they didn't they had they didn't really have the cap space to do a lot this offseason but i think they were savvy they were able to get sean monahan back which should help and then again it's 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 their young players you hope Caulfield can come back healthy, get back to where he is. I think the big question mark is is Yuri Slavkovsky, who's a year removed at this point from being the first overall pick. You need to start to see progress from him. And I guess you would, I would feel more comfortable thinking that will happen because that's generally what happens with guys who are taken that high. But then last episode we just we talked about the Rangers and they have two guys that haven't done it yet, and Slavkowski and Kapokako are not dissimilar players. So I, I there until he does it, there's still always going to be a little bit of a question mark in my mind for him. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, I think that first year this past season was a little bit. Uh, I I guess I'll just say underwhelming for a, a first overall pick. Um, but like you're saying, he's, he's young, he's 19. That was just his first year. There is room for improvement. Does it definitely happen? No, but, um, if we're trying to make an educated guess, look at this roster, where could things improve? Or I guess just where can things go right for them? And we're trying to make a educated decision on a over under that's a specific area, a specific player, actually, that should see a little bit of improvement and ultimately help the team out offensively. Yeah, dep- I mean, depending on what type of, if you're playing fantasy hockey, depending on what type of capacity, how deep the roster leagues, what type of format, but Slavkowski would be someone I'd probably look at rolling the dice on. Like, I think he's worth the risk. I, I really, I think he's worth the risk if you can... If you're doing some some level of draft, you can kind of sneak him a little bit later. Like he's going to get power play opportunities. He's going to get top six minutes. He's 
probably going to play with a pretty decent center. Like Nick Suzuki, Kirby Doc are there, are likely going to be their top two. Christian Dvorak's also in that mix. Like they have three pretty good centers. So Slavkowski is someone I'd roll the dice on. Cole Caulfield's probably going high, but Caulfield's another player that should score some goals this year. Yeah, and just looking at it from the team's perspective and how many points that we think they're going to have. Cole Caulfield only played 46 games last year because of his injury. Um, that's pretty significant um, when we're trying to evaluate a team. Uh, he's a top-line forward for them um, and a goal scorer at that. So um, that should really be another uh, player, another spot for improvement. Um, another player they acquired, um, Alex Newhook from the Colorado Avalanche. Kind of underwhelmed so far in his career with the Avalanche. Kind of gets thrown into a new situation here. Very comparable to Kirby Doc moving from Chicago to Montreal. And really last season, Kirby Doc, he, I mean, he didn't uh, go crazy and play at a point-per-game pace or anything like that, but he started to look much more like that higher draft pick. Okay, this guy should be turning into a top-six center now. Could that happen for a guy like Alex Newhook? Maybe. It's a question mark, but there's potential there as well. Yeah, I, th I think the theme with the Canadians is the ceiling could be higher than I think people are thinking. Um, the floor could certainly be lower as well, but like, so their range of outcomes could be pretty far, but they have enough guys with pedigree, draft status, maybe just staying healthy that they're, they're a team that, that could catch some teams by surprise. If they could get off to a hot start again, I'm not going to, I don't know if I'd say they're a playoff team, but could be kind of, that pesky team that stays around a little longer than everyone's thinking, especially if they can get off to a good start this year. Yeah, if, if you're looking to kind of pick out which teams might play spoiler towards the end of the season, I don't think Montreal is just going to be that team you can, uh, I'll say, skate right over and it's an automatic win. They're going to cause some issues, I think, for some teams. And one thing I referenced a lot in the last episode where we record is kind of thinking about where they might be at the trade deadline because that that plays a big role in kind of how teams finish, which really impacts when we're talking low point totals like Montreal at 71.5. I would expect them to probably stand pretty much pat. Yeah, and I'll expand on that slightly i think even if they were to say okay we're willing to sell to an extent i don't really know like i guess maybe sean monahan if, if he's healthy he could be someone they uh trade to a contender but a, a lot of their top players are expected to be in montreal for the long term cole caulfield nick suzuki um there's Josh Anderson on the wing, which I I would trade him if I was them, if there was a trade available. Um, 
Well, you look at Kirby Doc. Brendan Gallagher is a long-term piece for Montreal. He's one of their top leaders. I don't think they view him as a veteran that they'd want to move. Um, and, and then you start going down the lineup. Alex Newhook, they just acquired him. They're kind of looking to see if they're the right fit for him. Um, a winger that came up at the end of last season actually played very well for them, uh, Harvey Pinard. Young player, you're not trading him. Jake Evans, uh, center, maybe they could move him, but he's been a good young bottom six guy. A lot of their players are young. They're not players you really flip at the deadline. Um, so I, I think even if they decided they were willing to sell, I don't think there's much that they could subtract from their team that really would change the type of team they are after the deadline. Yeah, I'm, I guess my name's for that potentially. David Savard, he has two years left, so he would be more than just a deadline rental, but he's he could be someone a contender is interested in. On a, He's a good veteran defenseman on a, on a reasonable contract. I mean, Christian Dvorak's name's been in the rumor along with Josh Anderson for a little while, but like, as you were saying, those guys aren't making or breaking probably their final outcome. So, I mean, I I wouldn't be. Con- I guess I it comes down to I'm not concerned with their deadline action impacting how they finish this season, and I think yeah. that's the important thing when thinking about like sprinkling some money here. I feel much more comfortable placing an over bet on a team like that than some other team that might be a might go either way depending on how their season's going leading up to that. So I already I already hot take that maybe I like Montreal better than Detroit. That that was that was a true hot take. I don't know if I'd hundred percent bet Detroit less than eighty six and a half. I think I lean that way. But that's probably right around where, where Detroit finishes. I don't know. I I don't know how many times we've sat here and talked about Detroit and how they haven't done enough, kind of ragged on them a little bit, but I still look at their roster and it's still like very underwhelming for where they should be. Yeah, so thinking back to our different episodes during kind of the heart of the offseason where all the free agency news is going on, different trade speculation and everything, when we talked about Detroit, the big thing every time we were talking about them, they need to find goal scoring. They added some players. Alex Dabrinka is adding goal scoring. When that move went down and we discussed it, we still looked at this roster and said they kind of need more goal scoring. They didn't really get that beyond Alex Dabrinka. Um so they tried to improve that area, but I, I don't know if they really did it to the extent that they needed. I they're, they're a team I, I honestly just worry about the vision, the Yeiser plan, if you will. Yeah. Um, Dylan Larkin, t- absolutely top line center. Alex Dabrinkig, really good scoring winger. David Perron can score some goals. He's also 35 years old. Lucas Raymond's a nice, young, exciting player who sh- who should continue to ascend forward. 
But then after that, I don't know. It's it's a lot of middle six guys. You want to count on Daniel Sprong having another 20 to 30 goal season. Like, that's where I think we get to because Andrew Kopp, JT Comfort are really nice middle six players, but ideally they're your elite third line, basically your elite third line. Top prospect in the probably closest to coming up in the, at least in the forward group, is Marco Casper, who projects to be a very solid overall NHL player, but again, he projects to be more of that middle, maybe third line, elite two-way type of player that they already have enough of. Like, they could roll out the best third line in hockey of Cop Confer and Marco Casper, and great, but where's the goal scoring going to come from? So this team, the way they're kind of built, I almost want to call them like a New York Islanders light. They don't have like a real high scoring potential. A lot of the players, the type of hockey that they're good at playing is going to be more of that defensive lockdown type of game. The JT Confer, Andrew Kopp. Um, I just, yeah, I, I just, I don't really see where, um, what, when we're looking at teams and we're saying, okay, what could go really well, really right for them this season? I guess maybe Lucas Raymond takes a step forward and scores 30. And that would be pretty significant. That's a big deal if that happens. But I don't know if him taking a step forward gets him that far. I I just, I I don't really see, similar to the Islanders, I don't really see where the opportunity is on this roster for more scoring. And um, differently from the Islanders, they are not as strong defensively. Yeah, that that was, if you didn't say it, I was going to say it. Because Mo Sider is very good. Seems like he's continuing to ascend. But also, I don't think he's quite broken into that top-tier defenseman threshold that you're seeing some of these other guys around the league break into. I've learned this offseason, Jake Wallman's a sneaky, kind of good defensive defenseman. Like, he's a sneaky, good all-around player. They have Simon Edmondson, who's right now might be in the AHL because of other decisions made. Like, looking at their defense defensemen outside of Wallman and Sider, they have Ben Sherratt, Shane Gostasvier, Justin Hole, Ole Mata, Jeff Petrie. I don't know where Simon Edmondson is slotting at. Yeah, I agree. And at the same time, I want to point out that you just named five players who I think ideally would be on a good bottom pair. Yes. And I was going to I wasn't going to say it. I was gonna see see your reaction first, but yes. Um Yeah, they, they they have the best third pair in hockey the best two third pairs in hockey maybe <laughs> that sounds weird doesn't quite make sense i that's kind of the point 
and even touching back on Cider and Wallman, I think Cider has a great future. Like you said, I don't think he's quite in that, well, let's say, number one defenseman group, but I think he could very well end up there, possibly even this season. Jake Wallman is that very underrated defensive defenseman. Um, those are two great players to have. I don't know if they are quite that elite top pair put together, at least at this moment in time. They could end up that, but I, I, I just don't think they're there yet. And when you add that on top of having a handful of third, decent third pair defensemen, you're kind of missing the higher end depth. Realistically, their forward group and defensive group are very similar in that there's a couple guys that you're comfortable with playing towards the top of your lineup, and then it's just a bunch of kind of more bottom lineup pieces that you're trying to fill in and make work throughout, I guess. And then, I mean, another place they're nowhere near as good as the Islanders is goalies. Vili Husso, James Reimer, Alex Lyon. Maybe we see a little Sebastian Colsa this year. Probably not. I mean, I Vili Husso, I guess, is the one. I've seen him get lit up enough times where I don't where he's fine. But again, you want to take a step forward. That that's not inspiring. No, and unless you somehow sneak into the playoffs and he turns into Aiden Hill for the playoffs. Um, which is very rare, I would say, for a goalie to go on that type of run without um, that type of really strong play throughout a regular season. is um, probably like a pretty good 1B. Issue is they don't have a 1A. They have a backup, James Reimer. Um, Maybe Alex Lyons, a 1B, but I mean... I would even say Alex Lyon. So I actually, like, this offseason, I kind of highlighted him as a free agent. If you need a good backup, go get Alex Lyon. But I think he's just that. He's a good backup. So I... I almost kind of question having Reimer and Lyon. I, I think teams are trying to have a bit more goalie depth. Um, I think we've kind of seen it in the past year or two. More teams are trying to carry three goalies. Um, so I, I guess maybe that's fine, but none of these three are moving the needle in a positive way of, that guy's going to go win you a lot of games. Um, we kind of just went through forwards, defensemen, and goalies, and I think we're ultimately just kind of deciding this lineup's underwhelming. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, if I say the Detroit Red Wings are going to get 87 points, if I say that out loud, I don't know, I don't know how I get there. I don't know how I believe that because – 87 points is a borderline, is a team that's right in the playoff hunt to the tail end of the season. And looking at this roster, I mean, they're going to be pesky. They're going to be annoying, just like the Islanders. But 
I, I just don't know how I can get to 87 points with this roster. If they're kind of out of it, David Perron, who might be one of their better scoring players, is going to be an attractive trade deadline piece that could get moved out. Shane Gostas Bear, same thing. So, again, if they're not quite there, they also might tail off a little bit at the end of the season. So... I don't I I think I'm leaning under. I don't feel great about it, but again saying 87 points out loud for the Detroit Red Wings just doesn't feel right. Yeah, I I want to point out that um so I mentioned when we first started talking about the Red Wings, they did overall, I guess, improve goal scoring when they brought in Alex DeBrinket. At the same time, we don't feel that that's really enough. And I think in a division like this, which is who you're playing the majority of your games against, this division has other up-and-coming teams, um, as well as some teams that have been known to be the top teams in hockey in the past decade. So it's not like Detroit bringing in Debrinkit improves goal scoring. Okay, but it's not like that's all that happened this offseason. There are other teams similarly trying to reach the playoffs, and I, I think that kind of makes it tough to say, well, when we feel overall they're underwhelming still, are they really going to reach that um, that 86.5? Um I, I don't think so. I, I honestly think I would take the under. Um, yeah, I, I think we're both leading, leaning under here. I will say, I think if you're looking for maybe a little bit of an under-radar player for them, most Sider is going to get opportunities to put up points. So if you're looking for a pure fantasy, like a defenseman that that might be a sneaky nice addition, most Sider is going to get power play time with their best scores and he's going to play with the best scores the Detroit Red Wings have. So he's going to put up points in I mean again looking at their roster outside of Shane Gossesphere, they don't have someone else who's even going to challenge him for those those scoring opportunity minutes basically. Yeah, Gossesphere will be your power play two quarterback, but he's not going in front of Cider. So yeah, Cider's definitely going to have that opportunity. So from a fantasy perspective like you said uh, definitely keep an eye on Cider. So it's 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 interesting that there's now a pretty like odds wise or point projection wise, there's a five point gap between Detroit and Ottawa. Who's next? Ninety one and a half for Ottawa. Who <sighs> everyone wants to buy into? I think they have some nice young players. To bring it out, Tarasenko in, Chikrin for a whole season, have Sanderson now locked up long-term, Corpusalo and goal, maybe getting Josh Norris back healthy, and then again, young players that you're hoping to take a step forward, Dominique Kubalik in as well, but I mean, I don't know, 91.5 points is pretty ambitious there. I think it's a little ambitious. I think the real question is, um, so 
they're young players who are really supposed to be their top guys. I, I feel like they've already kind of reached that level. So Brady, Brady Tuchuk, Tim Stutzla. I feel like people knew he was having a good season, but I don't know if people fully realized that he had a 90-point season. Um, he is a first-line center. As far as improvement, I guess maybe he could improve on that, but I'm not so sure. He's already at 90 points. He's your first-line center. Josh Joshua Norris um, didn't really play much last year, had a shoulder injury. So I, I guess he's maybe someone who could positively impact uh, the season. Drake Batherson as well. Um, I want to touch on the Alex DeBrinkett moving out, Tarasenko moving in. Um, I've mentioned this to you, and I feel like we're kind of on the same page. That, let's call it a transaction, that transaction of DeBrinkett out, Tarasenko in. I think you're just hoping Tarasenko kind of provides the same as what DeBrinkett did. It's You're not hoping for improvement. You're hoping you're breaking even. Chikrin for a full season, like you mentioned, that should be really good, especially for players like Thomas Shabbat, Jake Sanderson, um, someone of Chikrin's caliber defensively coming into the lineup. I think that um, over a full season, it's going to make their defensive play stronger. So I, I guess I like that for them. Their defense looks good going into the season. I'm not really confident in their goalies. Yeah, I I will say I'm probably more bullish on Tim Stutzel than you are. Um, I, I picked him up a couple of times going into last season for, for some fantasy purposes, and that worked out real real nicely for me. Um, I think he could be easily become a hundred point player. Like he's he's an elite center. I and I think if he's in a different market, I hate to say it, he's he's talked about more. Um, yeah. But again, is is that enough? I I don't I don't know. But I, I think that's more what I was getting at. Is it, let's say he goes from ninety points to a hundred points. There's value there, but I don't know if it's enough that really pushes them much further forward. He, he's already providing stellar play. Um, is 10 more points impacting a whole lot? Maybe a little bit. Um, where I would say maybe keeping a Debrinket or a Tarasenko might positively impact you more. Um, it's I, I guess I, I'm more just looking at their roster and kind of saying it's good. I don't know if they're really improved from last year too much. And again, that goalie situation is, I mean, Jonas Corposal at times has proven to be a, good, a really good starter. And at other times has proven to not be a really good starter. And then once you kind of, then you're looking at Anton Forsberg, Meg Sogard. I mean, it, it's 
it's a roll of the dice, like, with their goaltending situation. So, I guess I could see a scenario where Ottawa does get 92, even pushes playoffs. But, really, if they're going to hit their over-under, they're, they're basically going to have to be a playoff team. Um, and, again, in a tough conference where just seems like last season they had stretches where they just they just went cold and things just and they couldn't get get through things i, I don't know i i lean under here but i think i could be talked into an over with ottawa but i maybe that's buying the same thing that's been sold every year with with the senators recently yeah i i think i ultimately lean under um and honestly, I don't know if there's a whole lot else to say on the team. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think they improved quite enough based off of last year. And I don't know if, I, I don't know how much space is really there for their current players to really take a step forward. Um, Brady Tuchuk's a first-line winger. Stutzel's first-line center. Um Norris and Batherson are your your other top six guys. Drew, hopefully, is still the same player. He could start declining. Um, so I, I think depending on what numbers you look at, too, you, you could argue he's starting to already decline. Um, so, it, yeah, I, I guess it, I'm just – I'm not convinced they're much of a different team than they were last year. So I, I think I lean under. I, I, if I had to bet, which I'm not comfortable about it really, but if I had to, I think I lean under 91.5. Speaking of teams that are basically the exact same, next next on the list, uh, the Buffalo Sabres, 92.5, basically right where they finished last year. Uh, their, I guess, offseason consisted of Craig Anderson retiring, Trading Ilya Labushkin after signing Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson. So, one right shot defenseman out, two right shot defensemen's in, a goalie retiring, and I guess you could consider Devin Levi as an addition, but he was there at the end of the year. So, outside of Levi there for the full season and swapping Labushkin for Clifton, this team's Basically the same. Oh, and Jack Quinn's going to miss probably half the year. Yeah, so I, I think I, I'm going to start with talking about Devin Levi. He is basically an addition. He did look pretty good in the seven games he played at the end of the year. Those are his only seven pro games. What's the expectation for him? Before answering that, okay, they've got Eric Comrie. Well, we know Eric Comrie is probably a good backup. Um, not much more than that. They've also got UPL, Uko Pekalukanen. At this point, probably a good backup. We'd like to see him take a step forward, but we've kind of been saying that. We, we said it last year, a little bit the year before. Um, so, so maybe he's still young. He could take another step. But I, I think the, the default answer here is Devin Levi's the starter. He has crazy potential. Maybe he does have crazy potential, but how confident are we that he's going to 
play and play well, let's say, 45 games in the season and really be a starter. I I, I guess as Buffalo, you, you really hope so, but that's a very questionable situation in that. Yeah, I mean, I'd also argue that maybe Lukanen could steal some games. There were moments last year he did, and then moments he probably gave some games away. Yeah. Eric Comrie did not steal games, probably did give some away. Maybe getting healthy, maybe getting comfortable with the system that's being played in front of them might help. But, yeah, I mean, I'll say placing an over bet at 92.5 points with just that goalie situation is... I, I don't feel real comfortable putting any, and if I'm putting money, it's, I'm sprinkling a little bit there. It's it's definitely not something I feel real comfortable with. And, like, I think one of the arguments that was made is, well, they're going to improve the blue line play in front of those goalies. So, sure, they brought in Clifton and Eric Johnson, shipped out Ilya Labushkin, but I think I've been on record on this podcast saying that I don't know if that's good enough. Like, there might be a marginal improvement, but I'm not even comfortable saying there's a marginal improvement because Labushkin, when he was health, seemed to be healthy, had some good stretches of hockey. I mean, they're always, like, he, you could bet on him taking a penalty every game and basically get free money there. But he plays some good hockey in stretches, and are they really going to get this much better out of Clifton and or Eric Johnson, I guess is the question. Yeah, I think going into the offseason, a big thing for Buffalo was maybe trying to improve your top four defensemen. Um, so Darlene, Samuelson, Owen Power, Yoki Haru is pretty much your number four, or at least he has been. I think on paper, looking at it, it's okay. Ideally, he slides down to the bottom pair and probably is a pretty decent bottom pair defenseman uh, in that role. Neither of these defensive additions were guys that I really circled thinking Buffalo should be targeting these two. Connor Clifton was a pretty solid bottom pair defenseman for the Boston Bruins. I I don't want to take that away from him. Good penalty killer. But now we're, we're signing him away from a very good team, which is something I, I want to make sure we say. He played on a very, very good team. So we're taking the very good team's bottom pair defenseman, and are we putting him into the top four now, hoping he replicates that play? If that's the case... I have questions. If he's a bottom pair guy for Buffalo, okay, I guess, but that's not really what we needed to see from Buffalo. Um, Eric Johnson, I think, brings a level of a leadership component that they didn't really have. Kyle Poso is a, a really solid leader, so is Zemgis Gergensen's. Eric Johnson just won a cup. 
He is a veteran defenseman, um, which they didn't really have a veteran defenseman who has had real success in his career, like Eric Johnson has. So I, I kind of get that move from a leadership aspect. But again, if, if I'm looking at the roster, I would see Eric Johnson's name, and I would pencil him in as my seventh defenseman based on his play last year. So I, I guess to wrap up my thoughts on this defense, I, I don't think they added the defenseman they needed to add. Yeah, and I think that's that's the what we 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 were on record earlier this offseason. Raku Gudis was out there. He was he was out there. He didn't like yes, he's a little bit older than Connor Clifton. He didn't come in much higher cost-wise than Connor Clifton, and he would have basically played the role that you got two guys to like he's got experience. He was just on a okay, he didn't lift the cup, but he he was just on a team that made the Stanley Cup Finals in the Florida Panthers, and he's a really good second-pair defenseman. Like, that was out there for you without having to give up assets or anything and just spending a little bit more money. So, again, age maybe was a little concern, but you could have addressed, I think, your need with one player instead of kind of rolling the dice on two, and now... And now you're really in the same situation. You have, again, those three really good defensemen, Darlene, Samuelson, Power. Could they carry you? Absolutely. But then, again, you have Yoki, Haru, Clifton, Eric Johnson, Jacob Bryslin, Riley Stillman to fill out your lineup. And none of those names are inspiring for, in tandem with the goalie question mark, for a true playoff team. But if the Sabres are going to overcome those deficiencies, it's going to be by just outscoring opponents with offensive firepower because they have forwards who can score goals. Absolutely. It's by far the obvious strength of the team. We saw a lot last season, Skinner, Thompson, Tuck. You see combinations kind of differing and changing, but there's Dylan Cousins, J.J. Paterka, Jack Quinn, Casey Middlestat really came on towards the end of the year, like, to the point where he had some questionable seasons, and now you're kind of thinking, maybe we can really rely on Casey Middlestat as a very good middle six and real solid player that can play up in the lineup if needed. Um, issue being, one of those names I mentioned just now is going to miss a bit of time here for the Sabres. And it's also someone who would have been expected to take a step forward off of what was already a very solid season, Jack Quinn. And on Quinn, like the injury is going to be coming off of an Achilles injury. Even if he's on the ice in the timeline that was expected, that's not a that's sometimes not an injury that you come back the same level, especially quickly from. Like, like I'm not saying that it's a career devastating injury, but like I wouldn't. I sitting here counting on him to be a solid contributor at all this season. I feel like little bit of a stretch, which is probably why they never 
traded Victor Olsson, who is on, who seemed to be on the trade block for much of the summer, and then that went quiet once the Jack Quinn injury kind of came to light. Yeah, I mean, Olsson was on record himself saying, or maybe it was his agent, I don't remember if it specifically came from him, but they were expecting he was going to be traded this offseason. Um, and I, I think truly going into the, the offseason, that was probably the plan, but uh, it definitely uh, definitely made sense to probably hold off on that for now with Quinn going out. Um, so I, I, I kind of want to switch the... The thinking here to Buffalo's an up-and-coming team. Where's the improvement coming from with them? Yeah, and I think that's I think that's the really the important question because earlier this offseason, I tweeted it out. I don't remember if I mentioned it on one of these episodes. I did a quick. There was a question posed on Twitter: Would would the Sabers be about the same team? It based on like their scoring and goals allowed, and if they scored a little bit less, and I simulate out like ten thousand Buffalo Sabers seasons based on the goals they scored and goals they allowed last year, and got to basically the exact same spot. So we're pretty we're pretty much said that Clifton for Labushkin is maybe a small net positive. Probably a level of injury, a little miss in Jack Quinn's, probably a little bit of a negative. So where's the step forward coming from? Well, they need their young players to continue to improve, which is not out of the realm of possibilities and by any means. I think if there's one name I'd circle to maybe have that breakout year this year, J.J. Paterka, he's a guy that I would, if you're playing some fantasy hockey, I'd try and stash on your roster. Yeah, so he really showed some flashes. Um, there were times where just seeing him skate up the ice and you were like, wait a minute, he's there's another level in his game for sure. Like You, you could see it. At the same time, we, we didn't always see that. There were games where you were kind of like, where's Paterka? Um, that happens with young players. That was his rookie season. Um, that I think is a spot where Buffalo can say we expect a step forward this year um, and a little bit more of uh, some offensive output from Paterka. Um, I want to touch back and reiterate with Casey Middlestat. He was pretty much a different player post-deadline, and if he can keep that up and kind of turn into that's just who he is that's going to be an improvement for the team over the full season there's space to improve for dylan cousins from a i would say a defensive consistency uh point of view um one spot we kind of talked about where is there maybe a little regression heading his way tage thompson 47 goals. That's not easy to replicate and do two seasons in a row. And it's not at all to say he's not capable of it, but does he get there again? Does he continue that play? I 
I don't know, he finished with 94 points. It wouldn't shock me to see if he had 85 this coming season. He could get to 100, but no. the it could come through more assists. Like, yeah, I I think really the struggle with the Sabres, I, they're a trendy pick to be a playoff team. They're a tre- trendy pick to kind of maybe an over, but I don't know if I would feel comfortable putting money on that as I kind of started this. It's really looking for young players, maybe one of their prospects as well, to slot into the lineup and take a step forward and really add something. But just just their overall roster, I think they 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 finished where they probably should have last year. But they got some good games out of Craig Anderson, shockingly, like at his age. They might not get those games this year. There's questions in goal, and then just their overall roster. Like, they had an opportunity to make a clear upgrade. They didn't. Jack Quinn injury. I think they probably finished right around the same point total. So, whether I... I don't know where I would bet, but, like, it it should be an easy... Based on the cap space they had and where they knew their team was going, it sh- this should be an easy over bet because they should have made a move, but they didn't, they didn't get there. Yeah, I think that's another thing to point out here. Um, Buffalo Sabres, as of today, per cap friendly, or I should say as of uh, us recording this, um, 8.7 in cap space, 8.7 million. There's a lot of space there. I, I think maybe I would like to see them be a little more aggressive this year as far as when trade deadline season's around. If you're right on the edge, let's make a little bit of a push maybe. Um, maybe you grab a rental. Um, I, I think the overall impact that that really has, I don't think it's as big as most people think it is. I almost think it's more of a mindset uh, move for the team itself. Um, I think it might just bring a little more energy, and that's really where the impact is. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they really should have made... I I don't want to say a significant move, but I I almost lean towards a significant move, at least in the sense of a top-four defenseman, a starting goaltender, maybe a middle six forward once Quinn went down. Um, and they just didn't. This is it's another team that's relatively the same as they were the prior year. Yeah, I mean, they're, again, I think, emphasizing, they're probably going to be right, right there. Could be an, like a ganging to overtime or not that pushes it one way or another. And I think the next team, they're, they're a tough one to gauge. Florida Panthers... Point total, 98.5, coming off a run to the Stanley Cup Finals, but also coming off an offseason where the cap started to try to catch up, started to catch up with them, and then injuries from that Stanley Cup run are also there, and they're going to be missing probably Aaron Ekblad and Brandon Montour 
were probably their best two defensemen at this point with the loss of Racco Gudis. They're going to be missing those guys for probably at least a month, maybe more. Yeah, I think uh, looking at their defense, it's Gustav Forsling that appears to be their top defenseman pretty much um, from at least a production uh, point perspective. That's really concerning. Well, let's say it's even a month or two. And that's not a knock on Forsling. It's more just he's, I think, a good second-pair guy, and he might need to be relied on as your number one for a month or two. And to be completely honest, that defense, I, I think with everyone healthy, it's decent. With Ekblad and Montour out, I think it's a little scary, especially in front of the two goalies that they have. Yeah, I mean, seeing seeing Gustav Forsling as the number one defenseman out loud is that's startling. It's it's not it's really not a knock on the Panthers what they did. They did what they kind of had to. But this is what happens when your legitimately top two defensemen are injured is you have a guy is everyone has to get pushed up in the lineup so Forslings there are three which is which is absolutely fine in normal circumstances who's now up to number one but Broski had a great playoffs can he keep that momentum and steam going at age 34 that's that's a question Anthony Stolarz is it, he's an interesting backup idea. Um, I, I'm not completely out on him, but I'm also not counting on him coming in and stealing games. I mean, him and Alex Lyon, to me, are basically the same type of goalie. I think the, I, the question is, hopefully, Spencer Knight is improving mental health-wise. He's been in the player assistance program, and hopefully he's back on the ice, and that could make it difference for the Panthers and then even up front they lost Anthony Duclair brought in Evan Rodriguez which I think is not a net negative maybe a net positive maybe break even I I honestly think I kind of like that I think Evan Rodriguez is the better all-around player so I, I don't necessarily mind kind of that change I think forward-wise, when I look at the Panthers, I'm content with where they're at. Um, they've got their higher-end players, and they've got some pretty decent uh, role players in the bottom half of the forward group. Um, and honestly, there's not a whole lot going on with their forwards as far as injuries or uh big space kind of glaring. Um, I, I guess they could use maybe a more definitive top six winger still. But the top of their lineup is still very, very strong. I think whether it's uh, Luster Reinen, uh in that role or maybe Rodriguez is up there, um, they're going to be just fine. Yeah, I mean... I think the, the question mark for me is, is Verhage a consistent 40-goal scorer? I don't know if there's a level of regression there. Is Kachuk going to play? I mean, there's no reason to doubt he plays at the same level. Um, 
do worry a little bit about maybe a lingering injury issue from the playoffs with his shoulder. Yeah. No, no major question mark there. But I think I think the kind of like we talked about, where's the improvement coming from the Sabers? Where's the improvement or off at least offsetting the injuries and stuff coming from the Panthers? So to me, there's one player, and that's Anton Lindell. Which where this becomes tough is he's penciled in as the third line center. Sam Bennett is if you're going to put together a lineup for the Panthers, he's your second line center. I don't think he's written in that role in pen. I think it's pencil. Um, but that's where I think they start the season. So Lundell is going to really have to show a clear step forward with his play to kind of unseat Bennett and um, take over that second-line center spot. And I, I think that's really where the um, improvement is going to come from. I, I think Sam Bennett can pretty much be just about that 40 point player whether he's on the second or third line in Florida um, Anton Lundell was 33 points in 73 games he's 21 former first rounder I, I will say a very good underlying number player and at that stage in his career I would almost expect a step forward so I, I think that is where the improvement comes from on this roster so I guess if I'm staking a claim over under, even with all that said, they're going to get off to a slow start. Let's let's be let's be honest there. Like I don't know if their defense holds up. Like they could be battling out of a hole. Last year they were frankly lucky to sneak in. I I don't know if I see them getting to that ninety eight. Well, 99 points. I don't see them getting there. I, I think I feel pretty comfortable saying the under here. Yeah, I'm going to say the under as well. I, I think it is much more of a conversation if Montour and Ekblad are not hurt. But they're going to be they're gonna miss some time. It's going to be difficult for the Panthers um, because of that. So, it, yeah, at 98.5 for an over-under, I'm, I'm under as well. So another team with some question marks that I think we both are going to lean under with. The Boston Bruins. <laughs> uh, they still have David Pasternak. Still have Brad Marchand. Still have Charlie McAvoy. Still have Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman. They don't have a center. Well, they do, but they don't have a true first line or second line center. So I, I actually thought for a very split second there when I heard you say, and they still have Charlie, I thought you were going to make a joke that they still got Charlie Coyle. Because um, Charlie Coyle is their first-line center. And he's really a third-line center. A good third-line center. Um, moving past him, Pavel Zakra. Um, maybe he's a fringe second line guy. I, I think his overall points, uh, 
his point numbers might have been a little padded because of who else is, was on the team. Um, so I'll specifically mention Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, both retired, um, which is really why this issue exists. Um, so, so there's Coyle, there's Zaka. They brought in Morgan Geeky as really their center addition, which I don't mean to keep... Uh, keep bringing this up, but it's just third-line centers all over the place for the Bruins. He, there's another third-line center. Um, so, yeah, I think Coyle will produce more, just naturally, if he's playing with Marshawn and Pasternak. I think the same could be said for Zaka if he's in that role. Whoever's in that first-line role is going to have more points. They're going to look better than they actually are. At the same time, I think how strong Boston was down the middle when they had Bergeron and Krejci kind of made up for and almost hid the fact that they're not very deep on the wing, which becomes more glaring now that the center position is also a little bit of an issue. Yeah, um, bringing JVR, James Van Riemsdyke will help a little bit at this point in his career. He's probably a third-line winger, power play specialist. I think I usually don't put a ton of stock in professional tryouts, PTOs, but they're bringing both Alex Chieson and Danton Heinen in um, on tryouts, which could mean one or both of them end up on the roster. And Dan Heinen would be probably the type of player that this team, again, they need centers, but Heinen would be that type of winger, at least, that they could use to fill out depth a little bit. But I don't know. I don't know how much more can really be said with Boston. Like, they went all in last year, and they didn't raise that cup. And, I mean, they're, you, you start to feel the effect when you do that. And this is the consequences this year. I think I think this is almost a gimme. I don't I don't like saying that betting like betting wise because people saying the odds always know, but them not hitting a hundred points just seems it seems too obvious. Yeah, I think if we just want to sit here and say where did they improve, they I don't they didn't improve anywhere. Um they basically have a pipe bursting with Bergeron and Krejci uh, retiring, and they put duct tape over it. Um, I think they can still make the playoffs, definitely, but nowhere on this roster did they improve this offseason. They actually got worse. And so, I mean, we focused really heavily on the forward group. Defensively, I think they're going to be fine. It's relatively similar. Um, they don't have Connor Clifton this year. They brought in Kevin Shattenkirk, which I, I think as a bottom pair guy, he can. that'll be fine. I'm not too worried defensively. I want to mention the goalies. Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman probably had one of the best seasons that a goalie tandem has had just in hockey. I think they're both very good goalies. I just 
naturally, I don't think that happens again. And I, I think they can still play at a high level and still not play as good as they did last year. Yeah, I I think I think that's kind of the the overall like Boston was a record setting team last year in the regular season. They were going to be due for a level of natural regression anyways. And then you take out two of their key key pieces and it could get especially if someone gets hurt or something like this could get ugly, unfortunately, really, really quickly if if a couple things go wrong. Like I don't, I don't know the odds, and like I don't have that in front of me. I don't know the odds for them missing the playoffs entirely, but I don't think that would be depending on how favorable those are. I don't think that's a crazy, crazy idea to sprinkle a little money there. Like I would feel better about doing that than especially considering it be a little more favorable for me than some of even the, like, Sabres over-under point total. And, I mean, it, that's it's tough if you're a Bruins fan, but they went in, it, they had the record-setting season, but they just didn't get it done in the playoffs, and they're probably going to take a step back this year, just like the Florida Panthers did last year, and Florida didn't get worse roster-wise like Boston just did. Yeah, um, I, I want to give another example of some possible regression. Um, obviously, the goalies, I, I think, were at such a historic level. They're even if they, they can still play very well and regress. A bright spot last year on the wing was Jake DeBrusque. 27 goals, 23 assists, 50 points in 64 games. Um, that, that was a... Pretty much a breakout season for him. Well, let's say that top line is Marshan, Coyle, Pasternak. Who's left for Jake DeBrusque to play with? There's no more Bergeron. There's no more Krejci. He probably has Pavel Zaka or Morgan Geeky as his center. And then the left winger is either Trent Frederick or James Van Riemsdyk. Those are all good role players. None of them are like good top six offensive players. So even if DeBrusque himself can play at a level like he did last year, I don't think the point production is going to be there just because of who his line mates are going to be. Unless he gets lucky and Boston decides to split up Marshan and Pasternak. Which they might almost have to just try it at some point during the season. Um, I, I don't know. I, I that's my overall concern. That's one example, but the concern is they did not improve at all. They got worse. Yeah, I, I, I again, I, I don't like saying easy money, but Boston under a hundred points feels feels like a, I would say a smart or a savvy bet to place under. Under a hundred and a half, so I mean, they could get to a hundred. They could get a hundred, yeah, a hundred so, wins it, but I mean, that, just saying that though, I, that may, I'm comfortable with that. They're they're a hundred points or under. Yeah, and the other team in the division at that same um, level, hundred and a half points, Tampa Bay Lightning. Again, I don't like saying easy money, but I think the savvy bet at this point is they're not going to get there. They didn't get there last season, and 
just like we talked about with Boston, they didn't really they I think they maybe stayed even. Kawarn out. Janot in for a full season. Michael Isimont in for a full season. Connor Sheary full season. Well, Connor Sheary is a free agent. Are those offsetting Kawarn? I'm not sure. Blue line is more and more of a question mark each year. And then it still comes down really to Andre Vasilevsky, who with Jonas Johansson right now penciled in as the backup, is probably going to be playing the majority of the games again. And it seems like that needs to not happen for Tampa Bay to be successful over the course of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. So Vasilevsky played 60 games last year, and I think that stretched him a little bit thin. Now the the top, top goalies in the NHL, so the elite starters, you can sometimes expect to play 60 games, but I think what needs to be pointed out is with how good the Lightning have been over the past decade, really. Maybe not quite decade but pretty pretty close with how good they've been they've played a lot of games so regular season and playoffs and I think that probably started to catch up to Vasilevsky last year he was still a very solid goalie but he wasn't quite that super elite guy that he once was um, and what we had mentioned in uh, past podcast episodes, it would be really beneficial for them to find a real solid backup who could play, honestly, almost even close to a 1B role where he's playing 30 games, maybe 35 games. Jonas Johansson's not going to be able to do that. And honestly, if I, I think physically maybe he could do that, but it, the outcome is not going to be what they need it to be. Um, from a performance standpoint. That being said, I, I don't want to necessarily bring this up as a counter-argument. I don't really know how I feel even about what I'm about to say. Looking at this division, initially we kind of see these top teams starting to get worse. So Boston just, they did not improve, they got worse. Tampa Bay, it's more of just, they, they lose some pieces here and there, but just overall, their elite core is aging. But then there's also the teams that are supposed to be up and coming and threatening the top teams. I'm honestly not, like, extra worried about what they did this offseason so i mean we, we've already covered those teams the the buffalo sabers ottawa senators detroit red wings the teams that everyone's kind of saying well these are the up-and-coming uh organizations at some point they're gonna really give tampa a run for their money boston toronto a run for their money i i don't know I, I think it's going to get harder and harder for Tampa Bay. I think this offseason overall could have been worse if the other teams in the division 
improved a little bit more when really they had opportunity to. Yeah, I think I I think that's kind of the the interesting takeaway is people are thinking the Atlantic Division might be the best division in hockey. I man, I don't know. I just what we've talked through, looking at their Ross like these teams' rosters, there could be an opportunity for. I think Toronto's the clear number one at this point in the division. I think Montreal's probably finishing last. I know I started off this episode saying I'm not, like, maybe they're not, but I think you can make an argument for almost anyone, say Toronto being one, maybe Montreal not. Anyone else could finish second, third very easily. Like, again, I'm not a huge Detroit Red Wing fan right now, but... They, they they could they could do it. They could absolutely finish surprised and finish second because I don't think anyone's a true powerhouse behind Toronto and even Toronto we'll talk about in a second has has their level of question marks as well. But yeah, the Tampa Bay is probably fortunate that teams didn't take this maybe make the additions that they needed, but it's just looking at Tampa Bay's forward group now opposed to what I know it was a couple years ago when they were consistently 100 point 100 point team I just don't know if they have enough with the age of who they still have to get to those 100 points they didn't get again they didn't get there last year with I with a slightly younger and I think slightly better forward group probably a little bit better defense goalie situation to me is the same. Johansson could higher ceiling maybe than Elliott, but maybe he'll also lower floor. So who knows with that? But I I just don't see Tampa Bay having done enough. So unless they really beat up on the other teams in the division, I I would feel pretty good going under a hundred and a half points. Yeah. So I I guess I would kind of, try and sum up what I had said in this way. Um, I, I still lean under as well with the Tampa Bay Lightning, so under 100.5 points. At the same time, I feel... When the offseason started, I was expecting to feel much more certain that they had no real chance at 100 points because I was expecting some of those other teams to improve a bit more than they did. Um, So I I think Tampa is still under that 100.5. I do think that their chances to go over, though, did not decrease as much as they really should have. And that's a plus for that team. So, we've went long on this episode, we've kind of gotten into some of these teams, but I think the clear number one team still in the Atlantic Division is the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, say what what we want, I don't love them swapping Dubas for traveling long term, but I think this offseason he did a fine job building out this roster. And, I mean, looking looking at who they have, 
think there's question a little bit of a question on who's filling out your forward group to an extent, but Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander, Bertuzzi, Domi is a really nice six names that I just read off. Matthew Knives, I didn't even read off. He should be right in that mix as well. So they have six, seven who should be top forwards that are border, that hopefully will be borderline elite for them. John Klingberg in on defense, which is that one is a little bit of a head scratcher, but they still have Morgan Riley, still have TJ Brody, Jake McCabe, Lilligren, Mark Giordano, like, their roster is still good. Goal still, of course, a question mark, but Samsonov, Wall, with some Martin Jones thrown in, might be fine. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the forward group, at, at least the top half of it, um, or we'll say top seven. I think they did kind of well to bring in Bertuzzi and Domi on, I, I think in a way this was a positive for the team to have them in on one year contracts. Cause it, it left open some flexibility moving forward, especially when guys like Marner, Nylander are going to need new deals. Uh, Matthew's already signing his, his next contract. Um, a little concerned about the depth. Um, I think they have, Honestly, their third and fourth lines, I think they're going to have filled with role players. I just would like to see a stronger third line um, from a team of their caliber. Defensively, um, I think kind of looking at how I believe it's going to play out, Jake McCabe is going to have to absolutely carry John Klingberg defensively. Um I say that with the expectation Brody and Riley would be together and Giordano and Lil Jagrin. Um, or Lil Grin. I, I don't I apologize if I butchered that name. Um, I, I think defensively they're overall solid other than Klingberg. I, I like the rest of those players fairly well. Touching on the goalies, like you kind of mentioned, there's question marks. Samsonov, he played like a number one. Question is always going to be the health. At the same time, he only played 42 games, so they're going to need another half a season from either another goaltender or a handful of goaltenders. And yeah, Joseph Wall, maybe. Um, I'd like to see him kind of become more of a regular presence as a backup or even a 1B, which I, I think could happen. Martin Jones is more of a performance-wise, not that great, but even at age 33, he can still give you the amount of games you might need, which is good. But I, I think for me, the, the questions for Toronto are really that bottom half of the forward group and then your goaltending at the same time in comparison to the rest of the Atlantic division that we've gone over the good things about Toronto are just better than the rest of the team's good things so that top six and 
honestly, the defense is pretty solid. I think that I think the question is with Toronto is one hundred four and a half points. It feels like someone in the division has to like we've we've basically leaned under for everyone. Someone's going to have to take some points in that division, and it feels like Toronto's best poised to do so. So I think I think kind of if if my other ideas and thoughts are correct, I think have to lean over a little bit, but like I don't confidently do so. But usually division winners are are over a hundred and four, well, really at least a hundred and five points. So I, I lean the over just because process of elimination kind of gets them as the division winner at this point. And I and I just don't see how they finish with less than that if they win the division. Yeah, so I I will also say over, um, and I, I think at the end of the day, that top six is good enough to overcome the, I'll say bottom six, but really third line kind of lacking offensive ability. I think the wild card for Toronto is going to be the goaltending. And for me at this point, it's honestly, I believe Samsonov can be good enough as their number one, it's whether or not he's healthy. And I think if he stays healthy in this division, they shouldn't have a problem hitting that over. But if something goes wrong in goal, he gets hurt, that all of a sudden becomes really questionable getting to that 105 points. I would say if you're if you're kind of doing some fantasy with Toronto, you obviously want their top forwards. I'd keep an eye on where Matthew Knives is uh, skating, like what line mates he's with early in camp, early in the preseason, because if he's going to play with Matthews and Marner, you want him on your team. If he's going to play with Tavares and Nylander, you want him on your team. I mean, even, I mean, even if he's with Domi Bertuzzi, you want him probably on your team, but if it gets to a point where he's more with Yarn Crook and like a Sam Lafferty, maybe you're not. You you need to be a little more careful there that he might not put up the points that you're looking for. So if if you're playing fantasy hockey, anything like that, I'd really pay close attention to Toronto's early lines. Obviously, lines change during the season, but it should give an indica- indication of where they see knives kind of slotting in because someone's going to take that spot that Michael Bunting has had the past couple of years and Michael Bunting put up points. And I love Matthew Knives' potential as a player, so if he's going to be there, I would have lots of shares of him. Definitely, and I, I do want to say that that is something to really pay attention, see how the lineups are unfolding, because it would be great to see him in that spot of the lineup where Bunting was. But those two players that they brought in, Bertuzzi and Domi, could really play that same exact role pretty well next to the star players for Toronto. So I, I think they've really got three guys to fill the bunting role. Um, so that is really something to keep an eye on as the preseason uh, gets underway and the beginning of the season, obviously. Uh, watch Matthew Nice where he is in the lineup. Yeah, my gut says Tyler Bertuzzi ends up there kind of taking the role of Zach Hyman from a couple of years ago, but 
Mm-hmm. Who 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 knows? Uh, again, watch watch those early lineups because that that could be a really savvy thing. Same same with the Boston Bruins. See who's that first line center between, assuming Pasternak and Marshawn. Whoever that player is 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 going to get points. So keep an eye on those. Um, so yeah, those are kind of our look around the Atlantic Division here. Thoughts on point totals, thoughts on maybe a few fantasy hockey sleepers. If you have questions, thoughts, you want our opinion on someone, happy to provide them at AFP Analytics on Twitter. Um, our, again, our personal accounts are there as well. We appreciate you listening to the Max Term Podcast on, well, any major platform you might consume on. And please uh, feel free to subscribe. We appreciate that as well. And uh, next time we're going to talk about, start working in the Western Conference. So we'll talk to you then.